Hello and welcome to the podcast for the December 2010 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm delighted to be joined by TLO's editor, Dr. David Collingridge. David, welcome. Three topics to discuss. Let's start with a research article concerning mammography screening. This is always a fairly controversial issue and The Lancet has a, and Lancet Oncology has, has a history of some quite lively debate on this subject. This specific topic here concerns a research article and this is looking at the idea of offering screening to younger women who have a family history of breast cancer. Before we go into the details of the study, can you, can you just remind us of the current UK policy on, on mammography screening? Yes, hi Richard. Well, the UK National Health Service currently offers three yearly mammography to all women aged 50 to 70 years and is starting to roll this out to women aged 47 to 73 years. But there is a debate as to whether screening should be offered to women less than 50 years of age if they have a family history of breast cancer with a higher risk than the normal population, but not of a majorly high risk, such as women carrying a BRCA mutation. Thanks, David. And go on and tell us about the, the methodology behind this study and, and how the younger women, if you like, the intervention group, how they were compared against women from other data sets. Well, this particular clinical question was a difficult one to address in a conventional manner because a randomised trial wouldn't be ethical. So the study group, led by Stephen Duffy from Queen Mary University in London, designed a prospective single-arm study of women defined as having intermediate familial risk on the basis of various criteria. These women were less than 50 years of age and enrolled from 76 centres across the UK and offered yearly mammography. The results were compared to two external cohorts of women from the UK and also from the Netherlands who were of similar age but did not receive mammography. And tell us about the results. Well, over a period of four years, 6,710 women were enrolled to receive yearly mammography uh, for a mean of four years. 136 women were diagnosed with breast cancer, 150 at screening, 28 interval cancers and three symptomatically after failing to attend their mammography appointment. The invasive cancers detected tended to be smaller, less likely to be node positive and of more favourable grade compared to controls. The authors conclude that screening women with intermediate risk would prevent about two deaths per 10,000 screens. What are the implications from this, particularly for policy? Has, it, has this filled a gap in our knowledge or solved a problem, do you think, or is a lot more sort of discussion and consultation required? Well, the data certainly adds support for yearly mammography for women with medium familial risk of breast cancer from the age of 40. Clearly the lack of a concurrent formalised control group limits the robustness of the data and conclusions. But given the ethical dilemma of doing a randomised trial, this paper is probably one of the better estimates of the value of mammography in younger women and is likely to have influence on policy in the future. Also, David, how generalisable are these data, are these results? Because obviously this is looking at it very much within the context of the UK National Health Service mammography screening programme. There will always be a debate in this area, but in comparable high-income countries, there will certainly be transferable lessons that can be learnt from this study, and they will certainly start to inform practice. Next, David, let's discuss briefly um, a Phase two study. This is looking at the potential of the drug cetuximab for the treatment of biliary tract cancer. Now, that's not a cancer we hear a lot about, David, so just tell us a bit about, about it. Well, biliary tract cancer is a comparatively rare tumour, accounting for about 3% of all GI cancers. It comprises intra- and extra-hepatic chlorangiocarcinomas and gallbladder cancer. The only curative treatment is surgery, but despite this, recurrence is frequent, 
and survival at five years is less than 15%. So it's a pretty nasty disease. The difficulty of treating this disease is such that in the past 25 years or so, only two drugs, cisplatin and gemcitabine, have really been shown to have reasonable clinical activity in large trials. So therefore new treatments are urgently needed to improve the post-resection response rates. Tell us about this particular study in cetuximab. This is one of these targeted agents that we hear quite a lot about now. It's actually an epithelial growth factor receptor inhibitor, isn't it, that's used in the treatment of uh, solid tumours? Yes, that's right. Cetuximab is an EGFR inhibitor shown to be efficacious in a range of tumour types, including colorectal, lung and head and neck. And preclinical data suggests it should be active in biliary cancer too. So just summarise the methods and results from this phase 2 study, David. So this is a small study of 30 patients with unresectable locally advanced or metastatic biliary tract cancer. Patients were treated with cetuximab, gemcitabine and oxaliplatin. Objective responses were seen in 19 patients, of which 3 achieved a complete response and 16 achieved partial responses. Adverse events were typical of, the, of these types of drugs and were manageable. So conclusions, David, from this phase two study, cetuximab appears to be safe and well tolerated, so that presumably bodes well for phase three. Yes. Given this drug combination elicited an 80% disease control rate and a progression-free survival of about nine months, an overall survival of about 15 months, they're certainly very encouraging and, and warrant further investigation in larger trials. And finally, we're going to talk about a phase one study. The numbers are getting smaller and smaller throughout this podcast. And this concerns the potential of a new therapeutic approach for lymphoma. So just give us a bit more of the background here, David. Well, BCL2 proteins have a key pro-survival role in lymphocyte biology and are frequently overexpressed in lymphomas. Thus, if the anti-apoptotic activity of BCL2 and also BCL-XL could be inhibited, these would have potential anti-tumor activity. This study from the NIH in the States investigates a new targeted high-affinity small molecule designed to do just that. Other attempts at targeting this pathway to date have had mixed results because of off-target effects, and it was thought that this new drug wouldn't have these consequences. So presumably, David, the aim of, of this study, given that it's phase one, is to, is to look at the activity molecular activity of this drug, so presumably it's comparing its use in different concentrations. Yes, that's right. As, as a phase one study, the aim is to define the maximum tolerated dose of the new drug, which is actually called Nevitaclax, and to also assess safety and the pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic profile of the agent and its anti-tumoral activity. And what are the main findings, David? Obviously, side effects, I guess, have to be a consideration, and, and how is this study going to, to inform phase two research? Well, of the 55 patients enrolled, 21 showed reduction in tumour size, suggesting the Vitaclax has potentially useful anti-tumoral effects. The other aspects of the study showed that the drug was acting in the manner expected and defined a tolerable dosing schedule for the Phase 2 study that, that will now take place. There were a range of dose-limiting side effects, as would be expected in a Phase 1 study, although somewhat surprisingly there were some major off-target GI disorders that the authors suspect were related to the drug vehicle, but not to an extent that would limit further investigations into the new agent. Excellent. Many thanks, David. And just before we close, are there any other highlights from the December issue of The Lancet Oncology that you'd like to mention? In the last minute, I'd like to quickly draw attention to two reviews and a personal view also in this month's issue that are well worth a read. The first review looks at biomarkers to predict clinical efficacy of bevacizumab, and the second discusses lung cancer after treatment for breast cancer. And finally, the personal view looks at 
the contentious issue of managing small HER2 positive breast cancers. Many thanks indeed, David. Those are some of the highlights from the December 2010 issue of The Lancet Oncology. See you next year.